This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. Contracting conversations are changing. We're seeing some terminations. The payer playbook is becoming a little bit more apparent to health systems, and they're able to take a step back, look at their managed care, their contracting strategy, and say, are the health plans that I'm partnering with trying to grow in exchanges, trying to grow in MA, trying to grow in value-based care? Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I have two of my colleagues joining me today to talk about what we've seen from payer earnings at the end of Q2, payers and some disruptors, everyone outside the traditional health system, ecosystem, all those stakeholders. So we asked Joe Marr, who's from our value transformation consulting practice, who's written on this topic earlier this spring, and Brian Esser, another familiar name and face who runs our financial strategy practice at SG2, to give their thoughts, interpretation, and give a rundown of what we learned from payers after Q2 earnings. Joe, you're really going to be the workhorse in this conversation since you've done so much research in this area recently. Give us the high-level trends. What did you notice from payers' Q2 earnings? The story we were following since the payers started publishing this back in May, June, was that utilization is up, so that we're seeing a bump in terms of utilization. And the story that came out pretty consistently in the earnings calls was that while it was across the board, it was most concentrated in the Medicare Advantage population and specifically in outpatient and surgery. And if you take that further within surgery, it was orthopedic and cardiovascular surgeries, especially at hospital outpatient and ASCs. As the payers looked at this, they thought of two dimensions. One was some of the pent-up demand that likely was building via the public health emergency. We saw some care put off. But I think the other is supply-based, and they don't know for sure, but they think as workforce challenges that health systems are starting to face start to die down, that there's more capacity out there to service some of these patients, some of this demand. Brian, is that consistent with what you're hearing? And I would agree. What we have seen and continue to hear is that the outpatient side continue to grow as a piece of the business as opposed to inpatient, which remains fairly steady and is reinforced by the SG2 IOC forecast. So that's right in our realm of thinking. The other thing we see that's the subtext that carries earnings call to earnings call is, is the health plans, the payers are continuing to get bigger. While the insurance business is leveling off in some ways, there's growth in Medicare Advantage, but we've got a relatively flat population nationally. Their investments in the care delivery assets continue to grow, expand, extend. So even with their traditional business lines on a focused trajectory, their care delivery businesses are very much on a growth trajectory. All right, let's break that into a couple pieces because those last comments in particular really apply to some of the biggest payers who've just built enormous, almost total system of care sides of their business. But each of them has unique strategies within that. Humana is obviously totally focused on MA, Optum's everywhere. Elevance has grown, but not through acquisitions. They have this big, looser network of affiliations, collaborations, JVs. Were there unique trends within each of the biggest payers, or were there some themes that they had that maybe other smaller players didn't? The way I see the patterns start to emerge as we look across the health plans is really by the payer class that they're in. The ones that are heavy, that have a significant Medicare Advantage footprint are the ones that are most active in the care delivery investments. So we see that translate with United and Optum, Humana, and that's why Elevance is moving more intentionally into this space as well. The growth has continued to focus on primary care, care delivery, building that multidisciplinary clinic 
patient-centered medical home with care coordination and technology enablement and really serving those patients in a value-based lens is where the big players are focused right now. What we'll see is that the health systems will start to see and feel the impact of these ecosystems as these players enter the market and establish their footprints in the market. Brian, as you've seen a few markets where Optum is more mature, Humana is more mature with their care delivery arm, how are you seeing the health systems interact with these plans? There's a recognition that, A, you're competing on talent, just clinical talent, as they build out their own centers or affiliated centers. What does that mean for the overall capacity to deliver primary care in your market? What are the other strategies the health systems are deploying? We saw a partnership between Oshner, Novant, and I believe Humana down south, thinking about MA-focused clinics outside their traditional service areas, or maybe along that entire contiguous southeastern service area. So other legacy providers saying maybe there's an opportunity to partner on a specific clinic design for that Medicare Advantage population that's more holistic and likely to attract that population more cleanly, but also keep them within that ecosystem of care delivery, both for the providers and the payers. The one that's most intriguing is more from the new entrant disruptor space is Agilon's willingness to partner with health systems. And that's really focused on the Medicare and Medicare Advantage populations, not unseating the full panel that they're working with. Their model is a partnership model. We're going in there, we're partnering with a new provider group. Ideally, we're first in markets, we're getting this traction, and then we're bringing the strength of our contracts, the strengths of our capabilities to these networks and really partnering. Some health systems that have historically been less interested in these options, opportunities are taking note of this and recognizing that these are significant investments, significant opportunities that could be done in partnership in the right markets, the right circumstances with the right partners. The only other thing I've heard from members on that is they think they are seeing the downstream impacts, but they don't have good enough tools to measure why it's happening or where it's coming from. We have some tools that can illuminate that a bit across the outpatient space, but I think it's a blind spot the systems are going to try and find better solutions to because they're using the result to try and build hypotheses about why is this down two or three percent? And it's probably a bunch of different factors. It's really market dependent who the drivers are. What about some of the smaller insurance players, whether that's new guys or those who've been around for a while, but they're still just not huge market share in most markets. There are a few interesting stories right now with Centene is going through a process of divesting a number of capabilities and resources with the thought of getting focused back on its core business, which is largely a Medicaid population. But of course, they've got lives in Medicare Advantage as well as some of the exchange based. So they're really getting back to focus there. They are not investing nearly as significant in the care delivery. The other one, if we go even smaller, that's an intriguing story right now is Oscar Health. They're a plan that still struggles to get scale. It's a business that is slow to build those lives. And they're trying to find that foothold to make themselves a meaningful player in the insurance space. And it's going to be tough to do that through just exchange business. They've got their eye a little bit on the employer space, as they've pointed out, but where they're trying to differentiate two components, one building on their technology focus and using perhaps even more AI to make them more efficient, more effective. And they're focused on their net promoter score. So really that customer experience, that member experience, where we know some health plans, especially on the legacy insurance business, have struggled historically. Historically, they have not been an industry that's really excelled in the experience perception business. I wonder, as we watch Medicaid and just nationally, but state by state, begin to unwind from the public health emergency, we're starting to get that data coming out from the spring. Is there an opportunity for some of the smaller insurers to pick up volume either on the exchange products, maybe in the commercial areas? What do you think is going to happen there as people get disenrolled from Medicaid and shift elsewhere? Generally speaking, the health plans are expecting of those that enrolled during the public health emergency, half of them 
50% are going to come off their Medicaid rosters. And they expect those to scatter then between going back to some of the employer coverage, moving on to some of the exchange products, as well as moving back to uninsured status. So this could be perhaps the most dynamic period that the exchanges see since opening up as a number of lives could land on the exchange products. Payers like Centene that have an exchange product and a sizable Medicaid population are proactively reaching out to these members to either try and help navigate remaining enrolled or supporting them in a transition to a different product. It'll be an interesting process to see. We still got another 12 to 18 months for this to play out. That's assuming it holds the course. So it'll be interesting. Brian or Trevor, are any of the health systems thinking about the impact of a payer mix shift or is this just slightly below the radar for health systems at the moment? The biggest one I've heard, and I was a little surprised, but pretty hopeful to see this. During Exec Summit, we polled members when we were talking about some disruptor activity related to Medicare Advantage and asked how they were responding. One of the bigger responses was, we know MA has already sunk its teeth in in this market. We see it in length of stay. We see it in denials and prior health and all that stuff. They also see it in observation days. And they're budgeting that into how they're forecasting for future demand for that population with inpatient down, ED visits down, but longer length of stay and more observation there. That's the first time I've heard that from members that they kind of know and understand the impact MA is going to have and they're building into future planning. You can look at market archetypes a little bit differently. Those that are more governmental heavy, Medicare, Medicaid, starting to, from the provider side, begin to push back, especially on the Medicare Advantage providers, our payers, as they continue to layer on audit denial, sort of administrative dynamics that are causing frustration and some reopening of those contracts or rethinking, especially when there's multiple MA plans available to that population. Do you exit some of these contracts that just aren't where you need it to be either on a rate basis or there's just not a good synergy and cross-communication between provider and payer? So I'm seeing more and more consternation. I'm sure both of you have heard that as well from the managed care leads within health systems. And then for those more growth or commercial oriented markets that have the benefit of that, what do you do in the commercial base as employers are trying to grow their businesses and trying to offset the growth and their premium and the costs on the healthcare benefit side? And thinking more proactively, Joe, I know you've done work here direct to employer or thinking about how do we offset our partner with a payer who has a large commercial book of business to begin giving some kind of cost savings to the local employer base in a meaningful way. So both discussions happening simultaneously. What's interesting there too, is that you mentioned contracting conversations are changing. We're seeing some terminations. The payer playbook is becoming a little bit more apparent to health systems and they're able to take a step back, look at their managed care, their contracting strategy and say, are the health plans that I'm partnering with trying to grow in exchanges, trying to grow in MA, trying to grow in value-based care? Stepping back and taking a more holistic look at those relationships and refocusing, resetting a multi-year payer strategy that accommodates both the here and now, the challenges that we're facing in the contracting table, but also establishing who are the partners that we want to move forward with and how are we going to set those terms for engagement for the longer term. Some of the more savvy health systems have really taken proactive steps in that direction, especially as new data, new resources, like price transparency comes online. The MA space will continue to get disrupted. You're right there, Joe. Rates either keeping up or what is that next channel of value-based care and how does that drive margin and drive a more beneficial two-way relationship between payer and provider? Yet to be seen in some markets, but there are definitely some markets making that pivot in a meaningful way. The other one is Medicaid and just manage Medicaid. Majority of Medicaid right now is managed, but how does that look on a relationship basis with those payers? What's the infusion of value for that population look like? Is it as advanced as Medicare Advantage or traditional Medicare? I'd say it's lagging in some states. 
But can we really infuse value into that Medicaid population as it begins to settle out through the pandemic-related disenrollment area? Lots to keep focused there as well. And then exchanges, Trevor and I work on the insurance coverage forecast for SG2. We continue to underestimate exchange growth. And will that continue? It, it made another big leap this year. It'll be interesting over the next couple of years, whether it gets support or not. And what's the cap on exchanges nationally? This isn't that disconnected from a lot of those different segment-specific strategies, but talk about some of what we've learned from at least those disruptors that are public and have to share a little bit of where they're having success. What have you learned? It's been an interesting year to date for a few of the disruptors. We've seen some challenges with Bright, Clover, Canobe that have entered the space and really tried to identify what they're going to be going forward or potentially liquidating and selling some assets. Not all disruptors have been able to make out. That said, there are a few stories that continue to play out well. Agilon's a name we mentioned earlier, Privia, another one, ones that have had a bit more focused strategies from the outset and have been able to stay and hold the course. There's an interesting antidote as you read through and look at how these forces converge. As Agilon noted, they have seen a slight uptick in utilization, but with their value-based care model, they have not experienced the uptick that the rest of the market has, showing some of the durability that even as the broader market might see an uptick in utilization that value-based care could provide perhaps some more predictable utilization over the longer term, which for health systems thinking about capacity planning, value-based care positioning, resource optimization, there's another potential angle lens that value-based care can really feed an organization's long-term strategic positioning. That's good, Joe. That's helpful. Now, toughest question for both of you. What do you expect for the rest of the year specific to payer earnings? And then maybe step two, on the flip side, Brian, I know we look at this data all the time, especially from our partner Kaufman Hall Splash reports around health system margins. We've seen them now move at least into the black, but we're still one, one and a half percent operating margins. Does that level off as payers level off too? Are payers going to take a dip as systems move into more margin positive territory? How do those two dance together? From provider side, yeah, we on a median operating margin basis via Coffin Hall and our partners there, we have seen a slight uptick above break even over the past couple months. Though let's hold our breath. We do get revisions as all the data fully comes in. So we're keeping an eye on that. But we do hope that that is the beginning of the providers nationally clawing their way back out of the hole that was 2022. So that's good. But how that relates ultimately to the margin and the impact on payers and how the two interrelate, the margins for providers is still heavily weighted and pressed by the labor dynamic, continues to be up as well as supplies and others. So we're going to have an expense dynamic that keeps margins depressed probably for a while, I would predict into 2024, that we'll have outliers on the positive side and negative. So we'll keep an eye on that. But then there's the revenue side and how does that grow as it relates to expense base? That's going to come down to local dynamics, payer and provider concentration within specific markets, your payer mix and how that's growing. And how do you think about targeting your rate discussions across your book? a business into growth and maybe non-growth areas, either by service line and then inpatient and outpatient. So really being specific from the provider point of view on where you need rates to be at and what growth you need to sustain the core business is going to be important. And the payers on the flip side are going to be seeing that growth and saying, what's my exposure on utilization and medical loss ratio dynamics? And how do I price appropriately given whichever book of business I'm selling, MA, commercial, et cetera? And can I work with the providers in my geographies that I'm working with in a meaningful way that doesn't lead to bad blood and disconnected dynamics further downfield because you need those providers in the network to sell the product. There needs to be some kind of a symbiotic relationship continue to form over the next several years in my mind. 
Yeah, I agree. Just a pure utilization perspective, the health plan said by June, summer, that their utilization data is showing that it's leveled off. So that bump doesn't appear to be continuing to trend upwards. Like we said, it's going to be a lot of that Medicare Advantage population. So that's not a significant margin driver for health systems going forward. So thinking about our payer mix is fundamentally shifting in many markets. And the health plans who have teams of actuaries and claims data and resources are still holding their guidance that overall we're just seeing this utilization return to roughly pre-pandemic levels. Over time, what we'll see is the health plans start to better manage these populations. We'll see lower utilization in Medicare Advantage if they're able to really execute on their care delivery strategies and really promote more value-based care delivery. This utilization bump will be shorter term. That said, it's you know it's impossible to predict value-based care implementation integration takes multiple years to drive. So with all the changes in the market, it'll be a fun one to watch how it plays out. Yeah, that's good. I think if most health systems were told this time last year that by now their margins would have ticked back into the positive, they would have said that's about the best realistic range we could hope for. I think that's measured expectations going forward. All right, Joe and Brian, thank you so, so much. Tough topic. Good answers. Always appreciate your perspectives. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.